Hey, this is CJ Handron from Diamond Kinetics. And if you want to build world-class communication skills, you should definitely be listening to the Art of Communication podcast with my good friend, Greg Rice. Welcome to the Art of Communication, where entrepreneurs learn to grow their business more effectively through mastering their ability to connect to others. Whether you're looking to increase revenue, widen your network, or just getting others to buy into your vision, we'll help you dramatically transform your business and life by communicating more effectively, improving your leadership skills, and reinvesting time back into your family. You're only one good conversation away from transforming your business and your life. So let's start the conversation with your host, Greg Rice. Hey guys, today I'm talking with CJ Handron. CJ is the co-founder and CEO of Diamond Kinetics. At Diamond Kinetics, they leverage patented technologies to monitor and measure swinging and pitching motions to help baseball and softball players enhance their skills. So some really cool technology, but also really affordable consumer applications as well. So you should definitely check out their website. But we talk about how he leveraged his network and communication skills to get this company started from scratch. We talk about the deep approach that he takes to ensuring that new hires are a good fit from a personality perspective, which has really led to very little turnover in the seven years that the company's been around. And we talk about his overall approach to leadership and how he's driving the team to his vision. Overall, CJ provides a great example of someone who leveraged their communication skills and their network to start and grow a successful technology company. And I think we can all learn a lot from his overall journey. So, CJ, welcome to the Art of Communication podcast. Super excited to have you on today. Yeah, Greg, that's great. I really appreciate you having me and uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, excited to hear about your journey in starting Diamond Kinetics and kind of all we can learn from a communication perspective from all that you've accomplished to date. So I'd love to kind of go back to the beginning and just tell me, well, I I guess let's just do a little background and share a little bit about what you guys do at Diamond Kinetics. Yeah, so you know we are we're a sports technology company, and as our name kind of suggests, we're specifically we focus in the sports of uh, diamond sports, so baseball and softball. We developed um, really high high power sensors that allow us to track and measure everything that's happening with motion and movement. And in our case, uh, we take those sensors, and they can be they can be built into baseball bats. They can be used on bats. Uh, we've built them into baseballs and softballs, and that allows us to track. Uh, track all those motions. And we take all that data and then we use that in a suite of mobile apps that we have. And and really our products are, are pointed at um, almost every age and skill level, you know, mostly the the youth and, and, and amateur, you know, players in baseball and softball. But we have our, our users range from, you know, eight years old to a dozen or so major league baseball teams. And so, you know, we use all that data to be able to provide visual tools, analysis, tie that together with instructional content. And then we also just have started rolling out a whole suite series of games and just fun activities that you can do to just, you know, just go out and play. Uh, so it's, you know, we have a little bit of everything for everyone when it comes to baseball and softball players and technology. Very cool, man. Very cool. And I think something I saw when I was just, you know, doing a little research on the company is that this stuff is affordable, right? I mean, folks might hear that and think, oh, that's going to be $10,000 to invest in this thing. But I mean, these are things that are really affordable that I can go out and buy for my kids today. 
Yeah, you know, I mean, the the physical products that we make are are all under a hundred dollars. They are very very reasonable, and then we have we have a tremendous amount of what we do in the software that's just free. Whether or not you have a sensor, uh, you can come into our app and go through all our instructional content with uh, a partner like USA Baseball, and it, it doesn't matter whether you have a sensor or not. And so, you know, we do try to make sure that we've got something for everyone, and and one of our goals is to be as accessible as possible to to every level of the game. Take me back to the beginning, kind of when you first came up with this idea, how did it come about and how did you go about developing the business around it, right? Because you obviously had to raise funding, build a team, et cetera. So take me back to that process. Yeah, you know, I got introduced to the technology. This is a spin out of the University of Pittsburgh and the University of Michigan. And so uh, I got introduced, I got connected with a professor at the University of Pittsburgh, who, uh, engineering professor who had been doing the initial technology work here. And as somebody who's a, I'm a through and through baseball guy. So, you know, he, he came to, to the business school looking for help. And I was there and, and this fit in the kind of consulting projects that we would take on. So I was just really excited. I felt like I had an opportunity to work on something I thought was was awesome. And I had like a, a personal tie back to. And over a bit of time in doing that, I think we realized there was a real opportunity. And so we decided and I decided that this was a thing I wanted to try to take a run with and, and worked it out with him to, to actually found the company together. He still is a full-time engineering faculty member at Pitt. That's his full-time day job, but very, very involved at, at Diamond Kinetics. And I felt like, you know, I was able through that time on the consulting side to get a, a sense of, you know, that there was a real market opportunity. I still had a lot of connections in baseball, so I could pick the phone up and call a few people and in some interesting places and say, what do you think about this? And, and people were perking up around it. So I felt like there was something there. And I also felt like being in Pittsburgh, there was a a really good opportunity to raise funding and find talent, right? Because you hit on two key topics there. They're critical to try to get out of the gate when you're doing something like what we were trying to do. And I felt like Pittsburgh was a sports town and a sports technology in a sports town, I thought I could get people's attention. And I felt like it was the right size city from a technology startup perspective. I think if I was in places like Austin or Boston or San Francisco, what we were trying to do, I might not, I'm not sure I would have been able to jump up and down loud enough to get people's attention. Mm -hmm. But in a smaller community or tech community with a sports angle and bend to it, I thought I could. And then I, I felt like between the University of Pittsburgh and Carnegie Mellon that the talent was here to be able to, to actually make it go. Um, so, you know, so with that in mind, we, we, we spun out and, and started the company and, and started down that road of a finding those first few investors that will latch onto your vision and, and then starting to put a, a team of talent around it. I'm going to get to kind of some of those investor conversations, but I'm curious to hear how the conversation went when you first thought about approaching your partner, right? So you've been consulting on the project kind of helping in this from a support function. And now you decided, hey, you know, I think there's something here. I want to partner with you to really start something great. I know that there's probably a lot of nerves around that conversation. It was probably yeah. uh, nuanced. I'd love to just hear hear how you address that. Yeah, you know, I mean, there was. I, and I think that the at least the benefit that I had there was we had this opportunity through what we were working on together at Pitt to get to know each other. And, and mm -hmm. at the end of the day, I've had a lot of people ask me a lot of advice along the way that others have asked and around, certainly around co-founders, right? And, and it's probably the single most important thing. If you're going to, if you're going to go down a co-founder road, you have to really, really make sure that you're lock and step with that individual from a communication perspective, from a role perspective, from a vision perspective. And so we had the opportunity to really get to know each other. And I think sometimes that doesn't happen. 
right? So people yeah. kind of get connected quickly. They kind of get excited about what they think it could be and they lose sight of all the important stuff because this thing's a hard, long journey. You know, we're, we're almost seven years into it now. It doesn't happen overnight. I mean, the uh, overnight success stuff is, is not real. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so you've got to know you're in the trenches with somebody that, you know, you can have confidence in. And so I felt good based on the conversations that we were having. And at one point, you know, he brought up, he's like, I'm, I'm going to have to get somebody else involved in this. And I think we were both kind of tap dancing around it. Nobody was sure, should I ask the other person? And, mm-hmm. and finally, uh, you know, I remember coming out of like the holiday break um, and having come home and I was talking about this with my wife and I was like, I, I, I really, I think I'm just going to tell him like, we should do it and I want to do it. And it was, it was a little nerve wracking. I remember sitting down at, a, at a Panera in, uh, in Oakland near Pitt's campus and the two of us mm-hmm. got together and I said, I want to lay, I want to lay out a, a proposal to you. And I walked him through it and, and he went back and thought about it and, came, and, and we, you know, we probably spent another probably month or six weeks kind of really talking through that, making sure we had it right. Um, but I feel now I can look back seven years later and say, we absolutely got that right. And I, I think he would say the exact same thing. But part of that was because we really clearly defined roles and expectations and mm-hmm. vision and what we wanted this to be. We've always said we wanted it to be a baseball and softball company. We thought that was the right way to do it. It wasn't about trying to do 10 different sports at the same time. And so if those, if those things were misaligned and that's what he wanted to do, and I didn't believe in that, we would have had a really hard time, right? And so I think that it's really important to get the big things you got to get them out in the open early. You know, the worst thing people do is they just, they don't want to talk about those things. They're hard. It's the hard conversation. So it's like, well, uh, it's easier not to talk about it. And then hopefully keep my fingers crossed that, you know, we, we won't have any issues with it. And that does not work. Um, so yeah, we were very candid with each other. We, we late, we put it all down on paper. We talked about what we thought the, the future of the world could look like. How do we get there? and made sure that we had the same vision before you know we stepped into this together yeah i think there's a lot of powerful lessons there one obviously you built trust over time right so it's not like you just met and was like hey let's start this company together right you got to know each other you were aligned on strategy and, and you felt comfortable and you trusted each other to begin with then you didn't just say hey i like this idea i want to lead this thing you came with a plan right so you prepared before that conversation with them and said here's what i think i can bring to the table here's how this could work out but it took some time to figure that out together, but it worked out. And I think the third thing you said was around having those difficult conversations and being candid. We all try to hide from those things because they're hard, but those are the things you have to overcome to be successful or they will come back and bite you down the road. Yeah. I mean, that's a, you know, and it, it's a, it's a mantra we have inside our company. Like we call them critical conversations. Like you, you mm. cannot be afraid to get at tough conversations sometimes and, and they're all around you all the time, you know? And, but I think if everybody has a mindset of like, Hey, we have a, a culture and a, um, and an expectation, frankly, that, that we talk about these things, then it makes it easier to step into them versus the alternative, which is that you never talk about them. And then when you do finally have to get there, you know, it's kind of a train wreck because you, you let things build to a point that uh, it's really hard to, to go backwards and fix it. So tell me about critical conversations. That that's a exciting thing for me to hear. Um, I think I'd like to understand kind of how you implement that. Like how do you get folks on board, and then how do you execute those? Like to say we're open to critical conversations is one thing, but to get people to actually do it, I think is another. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, there, I don't think that's the kind of thing that like, we don't have like a rigid process around it, right? Because it happens organically around you. You, you can't mm-hmm. say like, hey, every third Thursday is critical conversation day. Like it doesn't <laughs> work like that. And I'm not suggesting that, that you think it would. But, the, you know, for us, that expectation starts in the in the onboarding process of every new team member that we have, right? So mm-hmm. we have a, we, we are very process driven as we bring new team members into our company because you know, my, my belief is that first day, week, 30 days and 60 days that somebody's in an organization is gonna shape the entirety of their time there. And so we invest a tremendous amount of our time and energy in onboarding, in communication, in setting expectations. Uh, and, and part of that process is helping people understand how we communicate and creating some avenues for one-on-one communication, for small group communication. And to a certain extent, you can only just tell people that until eventually you end up in one of those conversations. And so at some point, people get exposed to them. And, you know, I think we're fortunate that we don't end up with like, because I think we are a good, consistent communicating type company, we don't have a lot of build up to things. So we've we've got a culture where people understand. And I, I tell people all the time, like, do not... I want your hand raised early and often when things are starting to go sideways or you anticipate that they might. I don't want to hear it. I don't want somebody who wants to solve the whole problem first and then come back and tell me that it almost was a big problem, but it wasn't because they figured it out. Because more times than not, you will struggle on your own to solve that problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we will have a much bigger problem to solve that as a group we could have gotten at. And so because I think we have wired that in our culture people aren't afraid to say, I'm falling behind schedule. Uh, This didn't go the way I thought. That's going to cost more money than I thought. Rather than trying to solve that on your own, I'd like to know it four weeks earlier and try to solve it with you. And so I think we ultimately that happens through experience, right? So eventually you're either going to be on one of our smaller teams, you're going to be in a conversation with me or with with somebody, you're going to see that happen. And that's the only way that ultimately you get comfortable doing it yourself is at some point you've got to experience it from the other side. You've got to see a peer or a colleague of yours go through that and, and feel comfortable saying, hey, I'm going to roll this up the flagpole and we're going to talk about it. Oh, I can't believe we're going to talk about that. That's, that's bad news. They're going to be real upset. Well, so it's a, it's it's one of those things that the culture has to make it go. It's, it mm-hmm. can't be a process thing. You can process orient a whole bunch of stuff, and we do, but that one you can't. It just people have to get comfortable there. And so we have a leadership team that's built on that and kind of takes that then down to their team. We do lots of one-on-one conversations all the way through our organization on a weekly basis because we think it opens the door up to build that trust and that cadence of communication that you feel like I have built the conversation relationship with my team leader so that I, I have the avenue to talk about it consistently. And I think that helps a lot too, is create the, create the environment and the opportunities to talk about it proactively. So if you know you have a standing one-on-one, you know that topic's going to come up almost every single week. You're more inclined to, to be willing to talk about it than if you have to proactively like bubble it up on your own. So those are some of the things that we do. Yeah, I think that those are critical. And the one thing I would maybe add is that I'm sure it's built in, maybe not without realizing it, but when those conversations happen, you have to make sure folks don't react in an overly negative way, right? Like if somebody approaches you with something that needs addressed, you can't flip out on them, right? Because sure. then that, that's quickly going to ruin the whole culture and all the trust that you build up. So yeah, but I mean, when somebody... We, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, we, we, that, to me, uh, yeah, you're spot on there and... and we start. We talk about this with people in, in the interview process. Uh, we're built on a culture of respect, right? And, and so that, in and of itself, has to 
that's the like it's a leading principle in communication, right? So if you have a culture of respect by design, like you can't start freaking out and yelling at people and flipping chairs and tables over because that's not respectful at that point. And so mm-hmm. that cultural element, I think, helps ensure that yes, you're absolutely right. The person who's receiving that they have to be a coach and a helper at that point. Because if you don't, then they'll, that person will never come back. It's like training your dog, you know, like it's, you know, at some point, like if you don't have that positive type reinforcement, like they're not going to come back to you on that. They're going to feel uncomfortable about it. So, so yes, very, very important. Absolutely. Now you mentioned the interview process, the recruiting process a couple times. I'm wondering something that I find challenging for a lot of folks who I talk to is connecting with interviewees to understand the personality and culture fit, you know, with just one interview or two interviews. So how do you go about communicating with folks who are applying for jobs there to figure out who's a good fit and who's not a good fit, not from a skill perspective, but from a personality perspective? Yeah, I, you know, it's, it is hard. I agree with that. And, and it's hard because usually that's just, it, it unfolds over time. And a lot of, a lot of cases, you don't have a lot of time either because you're not, you have an urgency in filling a role or you, you try to be respectful of the, the time for the candidates and, and for your own team. So we do a few things to try to get at that, right? So we, if you are going to make it all the way through our process, you're going to end up interacting with a lot of people in our company for almost mm-hmm. every role. So you know, we have 26 employees. So we're not a big company, but we intentionally want that, that candidate. So, you know, and we won't do it with every single candidate, but we get down to somebody, you know, we get you know, funnel our way down to three or four candidates for a role. Those three or four are going to spend a, a meaningful amount of time with us. We ask people to come in and basically spend an entire day in our office. Uh, you're going to meet a lot of people. And what that does is it creates a two-way street. It creates an opportunity for that individual to interact with a lot of people on our team. So instead of like making a decision based on one conversation with a hiring manager, if you will, you get a taste and an exposure to a lot of different people. Uh, Vice versa for us, it allows us to fan out and have five, six, seven data points from other people in our company when it comes to culture and fit. How did the interaction go? How was the communication? How did you feel? Was it rigid? Do you think you have a person who who can fit in from a style and communication perspective? And so we kind of coach up our people on what we're looking for there. I'm involved in that process with every single, and, and, and yeah, it's not scalable at huge, huge levels, but it is for us right now. And I try to take the approach of A, uh, I feel like I have a pretty, I, I feel like it's, I know our people and I know our culture. And so A, I can communicate it to, to candidates, I think pretty well, but I think I also have a pretty good read in spending enough time with people that I, I can pick up on those subjective things that you've, you've got to kind of figure out if they are a cultural fit. And then we just take an insanely transparent approach in the recruiting and interview process. And so we're very direct with people. We tell them exactly what it's like. We tell them that working in companies like this isn't a fit for everybody and, and what our style is and working in startups and early stage companies. Like if you're the type of individual that likes a, you know, likes a very predictable routine and you like to know what's coming at you and you like to know exactly, you know, what the end of the day is going to look like when you start the beginning of the day, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just not a good fit for a company like this. And so we challenge people. We really challenge them to like understand it. And I, we have had, it's been great because we've had people who come back to us after they'll interview and they'll say, after all that, like, I'm going to remove myself. I don't think I'm a good fit for that. Uh, and that's a win for me from my perspective, because that means that we got to that point before 
we mutually made a decision that we would potentially all regret. And because of that, we have incredibly low turnover because I think we work really hard to make sure that when you walk in the doors on your first day, like there are, that's my goal, that you leave the end of your first day and there's no moment that you're driving away saying, wow, I wish I knew that before I started, right? Because then we're, we, we really are going to struggle to have some success there. So so it's hard, but we definitely deploy some some specific tactics to try to try to get at that as best we can. But first, have you guys ever struggled to gain traction driving paid traffic while it seems like your competitors are just having a lot more success? If so, then you're going to love what I put together for you. I mean, how about a free analysis of you versus your top three competitors to gain clarity around what is really working and what isn't and where the opportunities are? Does that sound good? Well, I've partnered with some of the best in the paid traffic business to create inflection marketing. I only partner with the best. No one has more experience. These guys have been doing it since 2001, and they've been helping companies win paid traffic across all channels, including Google, Microsoft, and Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Amazon. And here's the best part. For anyone who sets up a consultation appointment, we'll provide you with a free competitive analysis comparing your pay-per-click advertising versus your competitors, looking at things like messaging, keywords, volume, and cost per click. And there's no obligation for this. It'll give you the foundation that you need to succeed, whether you decide to work with us or not. So to learn more about how we can help you take your digital marketing game to the next level and drive a true inflection in your paid traffic, as well as get your complimentary competitive analysis, go to gregjrice.com backslash inflection. That's gregjrice.com backslash inflection to schedule a quick discussion to see if there may be a fit here or not. So with that, let's dive into our interview. I mentioned earlier, I wanted to circle back to the investment side of things. So to switch gears a little bit, I'd love to go back to that. Sure. So you guys have this idea, you know, you have to raise some money. Tell me about the process of starting to network with investors and, and eventually building up to that, getting some money from somebody. Yeah. I mean, every entrepreneur that is going down the road of, of raising investment capital versus bootstrapping is, you know, kind of <laughs> deals with it deals with a lot of the same things, which is mostly no's, trying to find a few yeses, trying to find the right people to connect with what it is that you do. I felt like I had a running head start on that because my role at Pitt, you know, had me kind of immersed in the early stage kind of angel investing and, and seed stage funding community. So that's where I ran first. You know, we went to Innovation Works. We went to places that, you know, we knew there was a network there. But I also kind of tried to build out a pretty thoughtful list and say, I, I need people who are genuinely either in sports or very interested in sports. And so it's a sales exercise. And that's what it is. It's a CEO sales exercise where you've got to build your prospect list and you got to have a lot of cups of coffee and a lot of presentations and a lot of emails. And, and you know, each one of those you're hoping leads to one or two or three others if it's not one that's interesting and, you know, or, or interested. And at the end of the day, you know, they have a single digit success rate in those conversations. So you have a lot of them until you find those right people. I was pretty adamant. I felt like I had seen enough companies go sideways, taking, not being thoughtful on the investment side of things, and instead just saying money is money. And I just, I got to, I'll take it from anybody in almost any way to get myself going. And I think that's an entrepreneurial trap because your investors are your, they are part of your team. And I think too many people, unfortunately, look at it a different way, which is say, well, it's just, it's just financial support and it's investment mm -hmm. capital. 
they will influence where your company goes, positive or negative. And so getting people around you, we said no. I mean, we definitely like declined investment at different points in this because we felt like it was not the right investor for us. We couldn't get vision completely lined up. And we felt like we needed to make sure that we weren't doing anything that could jeopardize that as a team. And I really do, you know, kind of think of that as a team. So this is a pound the pavement exercise. It's a, it's an exercise. that's not for the sort of faint of heart because it's, it's hard and it's got mostly disappointment associated with it. It's got tremendous highs and, and feeling of excitement when, when you have some success in it. But I will say that at least for me, the days that we have closed funding rounds, I think that, you know, and, and I, I do think a lot of entrepreneurs feel like this. I think most people would, you know, you get all these congratulatory messages and people are like, oh, congratulations. But my, I, I never felt like I should be congratulated in any of those moments. In fact, it, like I felt this weight and this like, I remember the very first round that we closed. And at that point, like a lot of that actually was like people had like, I had physical checks from people. I remember walking to like the bank, the PNC bank at PNC park. And I was walking back from that in my office to my office. And, our, and it was like a Friday afternoon. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, I should be like running down this river walk, just like clicking my heels and excited as I've ever been. And instead, like, I just have this intense urge to like get back to work like right now, you know, yeah, because like you understand. feel like you've got, yeah, and it's like, it, you know, I've got this expectation now and it's good pressure. So it's, it's hard. Uh, it's the, it's the, it's the natural selection kind of weeding out process that is part of how the world works, but it, it's hard, uh, but, but you have to put, got to put a plan around it. It needs a sales plan and strategy, just like you would try to go sell your product. And I think that's the place that a lot of entrepreneurs kind of miss on is that they don't necessarily view it that same way. That was good advice I got from somebody and like, you're the CEO and this is the CEO's sales process and exercise and nobody else can do it for you. Nobody in this company can, it's going to fail or succeed at it. Only you can't do it alone in that you need the people and the product and you need all the pieces together, but you're the one that has to be able to make it go because people are going to invest in you. And I remember taking one of those investments and they handed me the check and they were like, you know, we think your product's great. We think all this stuff is fine, but we're investing in you. And I remember that having that moment. And I was like, wow, like that's, there's an intense piece of that conversation, but that's, you know, that's what you have to be able to be prepared to shoulder when you do this. And for me, it's good pressure. I like it. It, it motivates me. It gets me excited and keeps me you know, pushing forward along with other motivations, but it is a, it's a challenge. Yeah. I think a couple great things out of that that I heard one is that the investment process is about building a relationship, right? It's not just about getting money. It's about finding folks who align with what you're trying to do and ideally have networks and skill sets that you can leverage to succeed. It's not just about taking money from wherever you can get it. And it takes a very thoughtful strategy to find those folks and have those conversations. And then you just got to fight through a lot of no's, which is really, really hard to do for a lot of people. My, myself, indeed, um, rejection is difficult. So you got to fight through it. Yep. For sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, for most of the, especially, you know, we, we've, we have over the past couple of years started to have some venture investors in the sports, you know, world start to invest in the company. Those are relationships. I mean, that, that, that came together over literally years, years of getting to know them, spending time, keeping up to speed on things, and then ultimately finding the right time for them to, to get involved in the company. Yeah, for sure. It doesn't always happen overnight. In fact, it never happens overnight, right? Very rarely do you walk into a cold pitch with somebody you don't know and walk out with money. Yes. I, I, 
I feel like that's like the only only see that in the movies kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, indeed. So on a similar topic, tell me about your first sale, right? So you got investment, you've developed the product or prototype. Now you have to go start calling on folks and, and finding folks to buy it. Tell me about that process. Uh, yeah, you know, it's because we have a mostly consumer facing product. It, it was interesting. I mean, we were early on, even in the prototype phase, like we were engaged with MLB teams. And, and I would say people who were like at that time when we were getting started, like technology was really just getting going in baseball. And so some of the people in the kind of upper levels of the game were really kind of proactively starting to look at it. And so we were fortunate, you know, the Pittsburgh Pirates being one where we we just had this opportunity, even in a raw prototype form, to like help figure the product out, get an understanding of at least at that level of customer what they felt like they needed and they were looking for. We have a consumer facing product. And so that's kind of tricky, right? Because you're selling really is marketing and, and how are you going to distribute it. And so early on, we really did that by building basically like an affiliate network for ourselves at first. So we leveraged a lot of conversations, networks that we had in baseball. And we said, we got to get the word spread in a bit of a grassroots way. And that worked for a little bit to get going. And we ultimately then said, okay, now we're going to transition this into two kind of primary channels. One is we started actually hiring full-time sales team members that, that do grassroots team-based sales in different markets around the country. And they really were, you know, hey, we can walk in, we're right here with your team kind of thing. And then we started to build up uh, our own capabilities when it came to e-commerce and direct-to-consumer distribution. Uh, and so I still have framed in, the, in my office the very first pre-order that came through our website and almost not being able to believe that somebody actually found the website and actually put a pre-order in like, before <laughs> we ever even had a product. We wrote handwritten notes to the first, you know, the, the first hundred or so that pre-ordered and purchased. And I remember you know, at that time, there was probably like five or six of us working there and each of us were, okay, we'll each do 20 of them. And we sat down, we're writing all these notes out. So, um, I think one of it's, it's some of the, sometimes the, I forget about those things, you know, like, and it's, it's kind of good to go back and think about, uh, you know, where, where it all started. Yeah. Now you mentioned kind of doing some prototype work with the Pittsburgh Pirates, just again, going back to communication and thinking about what other entrepreneurs might be struggling with. How did you get that door open in the first place? You know, how did you get to be able to get to know and work with the Pittsburgh Pirates? Man, you know what? I would love to be able to tell you some like elaborate, like you know, <laughs> entrepreneurial. You know, we I did this and this and this, and in the middle of the night, I sent. Yeah. <laughs> we put a landing page up, and the video coordinator for the pirates like found us. And I'm not exactly sure how he found us. And like all of a sudden, we just get the, it was like one of the first messages that came through the website. And I remember being like, "Wow, I can't believe this!" And he's like, "Hey, I'm so and so. I'm the video coordinator for the pirates." And like what you're doing looks like it could be interesting and like we're right here in town and feels like we should talk so uh yeah i don't know i don't know where he how he found it i don't know what got to him or what he was looking around for but it, it was a great thing for us many of the other early relationships we had i mean listen they're they're cold cold outreaches connecting with somebody on linkedin trying to reach out to somebody you know, former high school teammate of mine that's coaching here that knows a guy there right it's 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 that kind of thing that's saying hey we we just want an opportunity to show and talk about what we're doing and get some feedback. We took that approach of like, I'm not trying to sell you anything. I don't even have anything to sell you. I'm just trying to show you what we're doing. We, we wanted to not be this like super closed off. We'll try to build it exactly our way and hope we got it right. We were comfortable like kind of talking to people through the prototype phase and sharing what ideas we had. So I would call it like sleeves rolled up hustle at that point and getting some of the other relationships going. Cause yeah, we didn't, 
we weren't marketing. We didn't have much of, we didn't have any team. I was working out of Dunkin' Donuts every Tuesday. I'd meet my buddy, my co-founder at Dunkin' Donuts and then, you know, sit there all day and, and just, you know, kind of hammer out emails or try to reach out to people while we were trying to build pitch decks and early prototypes and stuff. So, um, I yeah, I mean, story. it's, it's the, there is no, there's no magical way around that. Like at some point in the first steps in this thing, you, you just got to hustle and you got to put yourself in some uncomfortable spots. And, and I remember early on feeling like frustrated that I wouldn't get responses to some emails and things. And then I, you know, learned over time, like, Hey, listen, like that's just part of the process. You got to fan out as much as you can in thoughtful ways. And then, you know, when you do get responses to things, you gotta, you know, you gotta work on those as best you can to build a relationship. I think it also speaks to one thing, luck, right? We all need luck sometimes with the pirates thing. And then yeah. the, the other thing is you got to maintain your network because you never know when you might uh, be able to gain some value from a connection from 10 years ago. Like you said, that old guy used to play baseball with, right? Connect you to somebody over here. Yeah. There's value in that and just maintaining relationships over time. It's unbelievably valuable. I mean, I, I still, I feel like on almost a weekly basis, like something wraps back around It's whether it's me or somebody else in my company will say like, I can't believe that this came back around and that's, and, and you know, it's a, it, it's kind of a cultural approach that we have as a company, like comes with again, that cultural respect. Like we don't burn any bridges. We don't get angry if like something, you know, just like the timing might be wrong now to, to be a customer or a partner. And we've certainly had times where that's happened in two years later we re-engage in some way. And I think the way you handle things and handle yourself and how you communicate dictates those things. And especially in my market, it's small industry in the gray. It's big, but it's small. Uh, and everybody kind of knows everybody and word gets around pretty quickly on like who you are. Hey, it's a good group to work with. And, and part of how we've been able to build so many partnerships and relationships in the industry Maybe it's by giving it a split, maybe it's 60% because of our technology, but the other 40% is because of the people. I really believe that, right? I mean, we've had that shared with us over and over again. Like, hey, we want to work with good people. We want to, you know, we like the way you guys focus on trying to get this right in baseball and softball. We, you know, we just, I know this person and they think really highly of this person on your team. You know, I'm going through this with a major league team right now and it's like, yeah, guy popped up. He's like, I didn't realize that. Like, I've got like two degrees of separation, like five different people in your company. And <laughs> those things matter. So I, I think it's it's hugely important maintaining your network, kind of maintaining who you are and what people think about you in that world. It's pretty critical. Yeah, it's another great point. Great technology never wins by itself. You need to have yeah. the people side if you're going to succeed long term, for sure. But yep. with that, just to change gears a little bit, love to just ask you a few questions that I like to ask everybody who's on the show. First one is that I really believe in the power of conversations. So I always ask my guests if they can share a conversation they had in their lives that had a really meaningful impact on the path that they ended up taking. Meaningful impact on the path taken. I mean, I, listen, I think that I'll probably point that to like a couple of different conversations, like just like with my wife inside my own family. Right. I mean, sure. I think that like, this is a, this is a, this is a journey and it, and it has got a, a consuming nature to it right and and before i decided to get involved in it it was one of you had to have sit down and have that conversation of like trying to project forward like understanding what this is what this means for our family like how are we going to balance this and so i think for me especially as because there's this crossover between family and, and professional at that point had, being able to have that conversation have that level of support have and at that point i had a two 
two and a half year old. No, I, well, I guess my little guy had just been born. So I had like a two month old baby and a three year old. Perfect and, time, right? And I, and I, right, <laughs> I remember, and we had that conversation. And I remember her saying to me, if you believe there's something here, and if you can remove the fact that you love baseball and this is baseball. So like, you know, she's like, I trust you. And I trust that you know what you are talking about from a business perspective. But if, if that's all legit, like you can't not do this. Like you can't look back in 10 years and say, I should have given that a shot because you may not, it may not come again. And so I think for me, like that was one of those crossroads moments where I was like, wow. Yeah. Like not only do I think she's right, but like I needed that to happen. There's a conversation we were happening to get, we were having together because we've had ups. I mean, this has been a journey, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not a straight line (laughs) on, on building a company like this. And so you kind of, I needed to know and needed to have that conversation to know like, Hey, we're, we are in this as a team at this point because it is kind of part of my family. There's no way to separate those things. There's just not. Yeah. No, that's that's great that she supports you in that way. That's really powerful. And I assume goes a long way in helping you achieve what you need to achieve to be successful. A uh, hundred million percent, you know, at the end <laughs> of the day. And, and, you know, she's an entrepreneur too. So you know, we're doing this dually in my household. And so we oh, support wow. each other. But it, there, it's the only way it works because the... And, and I think one of the things I've tried to, I think I've learned and gotten better at over time here is like the highs aren't as high as you, as they feel like they are in the moment, you know, so as good as you think something is at the end of the day, it's probably not quite as good as you think it is in that moment. And the lows aren't as bad as they feel in that particular moment. And so I've tried to kind of you know, move in, and I've tried to actually kind of move that into a, a bit of a culture of our company, right? Because like you want all your people feeling like, Hey, let's bad you know, st- negative stuff is going to happen. The road's going to be a little windy. It's okay. Like we'll, we'll, it's, it may feel rough today, but it's really in the long run, probably not as bad as we feel like it is today. And when we have a big win or a big customer or a new partner, like, yeah, well, it feels great today. And it will probably not be as great as it looks like on paper or as we think it's going to be. And so, you know, we've kind of taken that, but you do have to have that partner that like can work through the ups and downs with you. Uh, Cause otherwise I think it can, it can throw you sideways pretty hard when, things are rattling a little bit at home and, and also, you know, in your entrepreneurial journey. For sure. For sure. Second question, as you think through your journey so far and all the struggles and successes, if you could have one communication skill and more abundance that would have made it all easier, what would that be? If I could have one, like for me personally, yeah, that would have kind of helped you succeed more effectively than what you've done or made it easier. Uh, Yeah. You know, I, I think I've gotten, better over time and especially from this journey at like being trying to be a much more thoughtful listener early on i think listening is the is the first principal key to communication in the grand scheme of things and that's not unique to me i think a lot of people believe that i think as when i was younger i probably jumped a little bit more quickly finished some sentences a little sooner and i've gotten a little bit better and i think as we've grown and had a bigger team at diamond kinetics I've, I've learned that like, I really have to do that because, you know, I can get in a spot where if I do that, I'm going to skew the conversation. If I jump in with an opinion on something product related, like I've just immediately turned that conversation in whatever direction, unintentionally. Right. But it, it just is because of the role I'm in and because of founding the company. And so being more thoughtful in, in, in the listening side of things and, and specifically like allowing things to unfold all the way before I might share some thoughts and feedback and insight so that I don't un, 
unintentionally skew or direct a conversation in a way that it really probably shouldn't go. It's so critical when a leader weighs in, it's not just like another team member leaning, uh, uh, leaning in with their opinion. Um, yeah. It does everybody all of a sudden adjust to whatever your opinion is because you're the leader and they, they think they got to follow your path. So I think that's critical yeah, no, to understand. Yeah. No matter how nice you say it and how respectful you are and it, you know, it doesn't, it, you still are in that role and people are like, well, if that's what they're saying, they think it should be, then I guess that's what it's going to be. Right. And, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to continue to be more thoughtful on like, you know, that's the power of having a team and people is like, you know, we need to leverage all of their skills and capabilities. I don't know the right answer to everything. So, yeah. Next question. Who's the best communicator that, you know, either know in person or know of, and why do you say that about them? Uh, my dad, and it's not even close. He, um, the art of being able to turn almost everything into a story, long, long time professor, interesting journey, right? Was, a was a Catholic priest, you know, left the priesthood, you know, got into psychology and education and, and, but in all of those roles, you know, they were all like touch a lot of people communication based and just had a, an immense ability to draw you in, listen first and, and just be able to engage people. So I've learned a ton from, from that being around it, you know, took it for granted for most of my life. Didn't take it for granted as I got to the point where I was in a position to need to do more as a leader and a communicator, but unequivocally, uh, you know, best communicator I've, I've ever seen or been around. Awesome. Awesome. So final question for you, where can folks find you? Where can they learn more about Diamond Kinetics and, and check out your products and, and learn more about you? Uh, diamondkinetics.com. That's home base for us. Uh, everything you could want to learn about our products, um, what we do, how we do it, our team, our people. And then through every social channel, we are some variation of at Diamond Kinetics. Um, you know, if you kind of want to see how customers are using our product and some of the things that we do there. Yeah. And if you're at all into baseball, I definitely recommend checking it out. Or if your kids are playing baseball, right? As I mentioned before, it's very affordable, but it's really powerful technology, I think, that really will help you improve your game. I mean, I think it's fascinating what that kind of insight can provide as you're trying to make tweaks to say you're pitching or you're batting, right? So it's, and with two kids who played baseball, they don't anymore, but they used to. I remember trying to teach them like, hey, throw like this, hit like this. And it's hard to get through to them. But I think with that kind of fundamental guidance, it can be, it can be extremely helpful for them to understand. Yeah, that, that's great. And that's exactly, you know, exactly how we like to think about what we're trying to do. Very cool. Well, thanks for your time, CJ. I really appreciate it. Great stuff. Really appreciate all the insight into how an early stage and now maybe a middle stage entrepreneur is leveraging communication to, to really kill it. So thank you. And exciting products that you're working on. That's great. Thanks, Greg. Really enjoyed uh, being a part of this with you. Thanks, CJ. Don't let the momentum stop now. Continue your path towards connecting at another level by joining the Communication Nation. We'll be discussing today's topics as well as more real-world solutions to transforming your life personally and professionally at facebook.com slash groups slash join the Communication Nation. Remember, you're only one good conversation away from transforming your business and life. And that conversation starts right here on The Art of Communication.